Aloha, you're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app and find one of our Locked On rooms. My guest today, Adam Stanko, VP of Content and Executive Producer of 24-7 Sports, a new gig for you. Congratulations, Adam. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm thrilled to be on with you. I got to tell you, Chad. It's a, that's a big deal. Uh, I've really enjoyed your podcast over the years and everything else, but this is a, you know, 24 seven sports. I mean, this is a big deal and, and has some effect for the NBA draft, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think we're looking to get into deeper NBA draft coverage as, as time goes on and all of those things. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Was it, was it ESPN and then just spent the last seven years, PAC 12 network, um, and this opportunity is just huge. So moving the family to Nashville, sight unseen, it's the new world order, I guess. And, uh, you know, ready for the new adventure. Lots of people that I know really love Nashville. And so that, that'll be, I know that's a big move from the West coast to the East coast like that, but I've heard a lot of great things about Nashville. Uh, I, you know, you've been covering draft prospects and high school prospects and college prospects for years. And, and we've had a chance to be on a podcast together before and just sort of love the background and insight. I know this is something that, that you still follow really passionately. And so I thought it'd be cool to come on and, and, and not only talk about some specific prospects, cause we'll do this, but also talk big picture with you. I, I, you know, a lot of these podcasts end up being pretty utilitarian, you know, where does this guy go? Where does this guy go? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in that. And I know fans care a lot about that, but we've both been doing this for a long time. And, you know, one of the things I'm always trying to understand is trends about the draft, how to, how to get better at scouting the draft, um, learning from mistakes, learning from things that sort of go right. And I, I want to start by let's, let's be honest about how those first big boards, at least mine are built. You, you, you kind of look at how high school players are ranked they're coming to college. You look at the situation there. NBA teams, by the way, have fairly limited scouting knowledge because of sort of rules and restrictions around what they can and can't scout, um, you know, beforehand. And so, you know, every year my first big board is going to look somewhat, somewhat similar to those sort of high school rankings. And then some guys perform like we expected. Some guys perform dramatically better. Some guys perform dramatically less. That's certainly been the case this year as well. Cade Cunningham uh, and Evan Mobley have looked the part. Jalen Suggs was probably underranked compared to where um, he ended up performing. And guys like, you know, Zaire Williams and BJ Boston, disappointing based off of sort of what we sort of thought sort of coming out of high school. And, you know, you've been part of this whole process. Like, how does all this in your mind, you know, translate? You know, what a, what a young player does in high school and then college, and then ultimately getting the NBA. And now we add G League onto it as well. And right, you know, we saw right, Jalen Green right. and Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting point. You know, I started um, following, I mean, high school hoops as long as I can, I can remember. But back in the early 2000s, I was heavily involved because we'd go to all the ABCD camps and uh, slam dunk to the beach in Lewis, Delaware, and see all the top high school prospects. And at that time, you got to see them play a different way than – I think people see in the college game, both because they have to become a part of a system that's different. The co college coach is trying to win. They're trying to save their job. They're not necessarily looking at, at player development. They're looking at how does a guy fit in to help me win games? That's what they care about first and foremost. And, and in fact, even in speaking with workout guys uh, before the 
NBA draft, they always say the same thing. And Chad, I'm sure you you come across this too. They they're shocked oftentimes at how college coaches don't coach certain things or train them in certain areas in terms of skill development to, you know, they want their players to succeed. Obviously it, it helps everyone when they are high picks in the draft and they do well in the NBA, but that's not the, the first priority of college coaches and understandably. So I mean, their livelihood is, do we win games? And so I think you take all that and say, all these guys that we see on the, on the high school level um, they're having a chance to get the ball in their hands they're allowed to be playmakers. They're allowed to make mistakes. Um, they're allowed to play way more freely. And in fact, I looked at last year's situation in the bubble, and I called it the uh, uh, Marco Bellinelli effect, that I knew all these role players coming into the bubble without fans and without a, a away crowd that they're having to go in a hostile environment. I knew you'd see these performances from players that were probably unexpected. And we saw that in the bubble. And I sort of feel the same thing happens a lot of time. These high school guys have no pressure on them. Then they go to a college system. They have to learn an offense. They may have to learn some, uh, some things they didn't understand, pick and roll coverages in the college games. So there's a lot that they're filling their heads with, not to mention they're in school. They don't get all that much practice time. They're not working on skill development. Now they all of a sudden go to a workout guy before the draft and people are like, wow, I didn't know that guy could shoot threes. I didn't know that guy had that kind of handle because his college coach wouldn't allow him to. It doesn't mean that College coach also doesn't expose our college level doesn't often expose uh, weaknesses in a game because that happens too, of course. Um, and and the one thing I'll just say this to finalize the point is that I hear from NBA people all the time that the average fan doesn't realize how smart NBA players are and all the plays that they have to have to run, uh, what they're trying to accomplish each each possession. And I think that's what takes that learning curve takes guys a little while to figure out, especially when they're 19 years old coming into the league. So I think you factor all those things in. I think the biggest thing that I would say that I look at is I think the high school game shows what a player could be at his peak. And so I think a lot of times the high school evaluators, when you're making your your big board, it's, oh, I know this guy could be at this level and, and, and this at this ceiling. And so I think a lot of times when you're just watching college games, you may not see the ceiling of a guy because he wasn't allowed to showcase all those skills. You bring up so many interesting points because uh, the, the college game, first of all, is different than the NBA game. Uh, and, and so what you're asking a player to do might be different. Uh, there's a, I, so many trainers and so many teams bemoan at times players actually picking up bad habits uh, in in college, which I think is sort of really interesting because you you think that high school is where they're picking them up. And yes, there's complaints about AAU basketball as well, but, you know, bad habits there. And, you know, and different college teams are different. John Calipari typically has three or four freshmen starting every season uh, for him. And so he does have to do more as far as showcasing young players and development. He's got to win with with freshmen. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski is has had to do that more and more um, at Duke. And so there's some programs that we're sort of used to being able to see that. And then, you know, for the rest of players, you have to go and fit in. Uh, and I think it was really interesting to see such a down year for Kentucky this year because usually Calipari is able to do more uh, with his talent than he was able to do um, this year. The other thing that I think is really fascinating this year, and and a bit last year, but this year as well, is the role that the pandemic played in all of this, especially for the freshmen. Uh, it meant that they missed the summer uh, of prep, uh, you know, kind of the, from the high school to to the college. It often meant dramatically reduced uh, practice times, uh, re- reduced time to prep 
you know, for uh, the college basketball game. And in like Zaire Williams' case, it meant that Stanford didn't really even have a home team, and so you're out, you're out living on the road, living in a, uh, you know, living in a hotel room. Hotel, yeah. And you know, just noticing for my own family, I've got a a, a number of you know teenagers and young adults uh, that that I'm a, a father to to watch their reaction to that. It was hard for me, but I think for young people who have not maybe faced this this sort of well none of us have really sort of faced this sort of uh you know disruption to life i i i think more than ever i'm watching this year's draft class and wondering i'm not sure what the college basketball season can tell us about anything with these guys uh given it's such a unique situation this year absolutely and and you know you bring up that that last point about the disruption I, I've also heard from so many people within the college basketball community, just this very real depression. We, we don't want to think about these guys as, as, as people and as individuals. And, you know, NBA players are always screaming that from the rooftops. You hear that from Kyrie all the time is that you guys don't treat us as real people. Kevin Durant talking about his sensitivity, but, but really a lot of these college kids came in and, and that whole experience, especially for the one and done guys, they come in, there's no crowds to get excited about. There's no college experience. They're spending all day long with their coach and their teammates. And usually there's a chance to break free and enjoy, you know, the fruits of being a superstar college basketball player. And a lot of guys suffered in, in that regard. And, you know, that was a big thing that I heard about Jalen Johnson, that people were giving him such a hard time from Duke. And, and the story that I kept hearing behind the scenes is you don't understand. He's got a real problem with with what he's going through and the anxiety. And I know firsthand, and you just spoke of it, having two teenage daughters, they've, they've struggled immensely with, with everything that's happened throughout the pandemic and, and the different social protocols and, and all. So I think it's very real. And I think it's, it's certainly impacted this freshman class for sure. The, um, so you have, you have these, these different moments, right? So you've got the high school hype, you've got the college hype. We had G league this year. And, yes. and in some ways, that was the sanest model for me. Like, at least you're going directly with an NBA coach, NBA uh, type of sets, um, skill development all the time. You don't have to go to class or, or sort of deal with other things, those, those sorts of things that, look, as a college professor, I support. But if you're preparing solely to be an NBA draft prospect, I can understand why that, that might be an advantage. And playing against either elite college basketball, former college basketball players, or actually players that have, have stuck in the league. Uh, and, and so that, there's another model to sort of you know, wrestle with. Uh, and, and now we get to this thing. We get to the combine. And the combine to me is one of the most interesting things. I had Jeremy Wu on uh, recently from Sports Illustrated. I've always scratched my head a little bit about the combine uh, because there's so many factors in this. And you, you mentioned the, the sort of trainers um, and agents. And so, you know, what happens after the college basketball season for most of these guys is they're going to sign with an agent and they're going to go in and start really doing skill development training, getting on the right diet, um, you know, working on, you know, fixing physical issues as well as sort of basketball skill issues. You've been around this, you're around it again this, this year. Like, what do you think about that whole process? I, to me, it's so fascinating. And I think it's this world that I've been lucky enough, you've been lucky enough to sort of see on the inside. And unless you see it, you don't understand how different it is. I think people are so caught up in this idea of, oh, guys are doing one-on-one -on -one work against a chair, right? That's, that's, that's what you hear that like, oh, they're just shooting in a gym by themselves and all that stuff. 
it's the live work where guys really can get after it. And it's, it's not just skill development, but it's also guys going in two on two sets. They're battling against each other. And when you go to these workouts and, and every year I go down, I become very close friends with Don McLean, who played a decade in the league, Pac-12's all-time leading scorer, 2,608 points. He'll always bring it up, the, uh, his career scoring mark. I mean, when you're the all-time leading scorer at UCLA, you get to, you get to say that. But Don is, the, in my opinion, the, the best uh, pre-draft workout guy that there is. And so he gets the CAA guys who come through. And what's wild about, about Don's discussion with me about this every year is he goes, it's not long enough of a period of time where we can actually make major changes to somebody's form on their shot and things like that, or just total understanding of the game itself. But he said, we work to get them better physically. And then just as basketball players ready for their team workouts, because that's really what matters. They're going to go battle other guys that are in comparable roles, uh, similar positions, skill sets, and how well do they do against those guys? And the philosophy is for the agency, why they send them to Don specifically is if you move a kid up from number 18 to number 10 in the draft, that's like $7 million. So everyone benefits for a kid just moving up in the draft based upon their team workouts. So I'm always fascinated to see, and, and I'll say like the classic example, I, I got to see Donovan Mitchell and his pre-draft workouts and his family was still deciding whether they were going to keep him in the draft or not. He didn't even know. He thought he was going to go back to Louisville and Donovan Mitchell. We, I saw Davian Mitchell this year too, but, but this is in the past seeing Donovan Mitchell and he blew me away in workouts. Like his handle was so strong and his, his shooting ability was way better than we had seen at Louisville, his intensity. But the thing that stood out in the workouts is that here he was with a whole bunch of other guys at the time and John Collins being one of them. And I remember it's just, he was a motivator and a leader amongst this group. And it's a small workout group. It's like eight or nine guys. And he's the guy that's rooting them on and he's intense. And they were all getting better because he was on the floor with them. And I thought that is something that's just you have to be in the gym to see it. And unless you do, and then you can understand why his stock was rising and all that. And I remember Don had to call Donovan's mother and say, you don't understand your son has to remain in this draft. Like, and Don had said at the time, if he's an inch or two taller, he'd be, he'd be the number one pick. And, and I think that those skills, that leadership, uh, that charisma, we're seeing that now on the NBA level, the work ethic, all those things. But I think that's the most fascinating part of the pre-draft process is this idea that, guys are working on skills they would never have been able to work on while they were in college. And, um, and now they're really getting a chance to do that and in shine. I think that's a really great balanced analysis of what's happening because there, there's so many extremes on Twitter and everything else that like, this is a sham <laughs> on one end to, Oh my gosh, so-and-so had a great workout. He should be moving up 10, 15 spots in the draft, which uh, I can tell you is probably never, right. never accurate. Um, also apologize if it got a little loud there. This is the uh, this is the uh, b benefits or side effects of living in Hawaii. A flock of peacocks just landed in my backyard, and then a wild <laughs> cat went on to try to attack the peacocks. Um, so I don't know I don't know if that came through on the on the mic, but uh, that's that's what's happening in, in the Ford Tremendous. backyard uh, today. I've never Tremendous. seen the peacocks before, and never seen the cat, so I have no idea. <laughs> Um, what just went down. So um, wish we had some video of that. It. I um, love it. You know, uh, and, and, I, and I think you also bring up a really good point here because I can be, I, I'm not a big fan of the pro days and, and I've, I've made that, that sort of clear. 
But when you're thinking about prepping for the team workouts, team workouts really do move the needle and matter. They probably shouldn't as much as they do, but this yes. is your sort of last chance to see them. Often this is where your coaching staff is seeing guys for the first time and, and, and they're gonna, and depending on the team, gonna have some voice and saying this and well. And this is, this is where, and you know, Donovan Mitchell's sort of a great example of this, where you go in, have a great workout, and, and it was sort of over for Utah after that. Right. Uh, Rudy Gobert, Gobert is exactly the same way. Like at that moment, they knew. And they didn't know yeah. necessarily before. And, and so th this is a really, really important aspect of it. It also, just another point that you bring up that I think has always been frustrating to me covering the draft for so long, why the draft is in... Uh, the end of June or this year, it got pushed back a month to the end of July. It never really understood it. One, I think you should have free agency first. I, I've I've mm -hmm. said this until I'm blue in the face to David Stern and um, at, at, you know way way back, like you you should move it back. And two, it get, you know like the NFL draft, it gives players more of a chance to actually sort of do some of the things that I think these trainers and things would like to do with them. Like if it's it's very risky to try to change up somebody's shot. In you know six to six to eight weeks, you don't want to do that. Uh, you know, so you're, there's certain things that Don can't do, and I can also vouch for Don. I've been going down watching him work out guys forever. The other thing that is, is a benefit with some of those big agencies like CAA is you get Paul George or other other players sort of rolling through the gym, and and they get the chance to actually be on the court, get tips with, and sometimes even play. Uh, in scrimmages against you know some of the top uh, top players in the NBA as well, and that that can make a big difference. Adam, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll keep talking about the 2021 NBA draft. I'm with Adam Stanko, VP of Content and Executive Producer of 27 Sports. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You can even find Locked On hosts across the NBA, MLB, and NHL. Go download the free Locker Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NFL, MLB, NHL group for the latest league updates. I know you'll find a ton of incredible rooms around the favorite teams and leagues. I can't wait to join you all on the app. I'll be sure to let you know once the Locked On NBA Draft Room is live. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. And I am back with Adam Stanko from the VP of Content and Executive Producer at 24-7 Sports. We've been sort of talking big picture about how prospects uh, you know, prepare for the draft. I love it when you sort of tell these stories as well. You talked about Donovan Mitchell and sort of preparing for the draft. You said you've seen some guys actually sort of out prepping for the draft right now. Who stood out to you uh, over the last uh, few weeks as you've been watching some of these guys work out? So I got a chance to see, went down, saw Don and, and his team working with uh, Davion Mitchell of Baylor and Keon Johnson. Uh, there were a few other prospects uh, that I saw saw working out as well, but but uh, saw the both of those guys 
Keon Johnson, of course, everybody now knows because of his performance at the combine and and just not just how quick he is, obviously, and how fast he is, but certainly breaking the vertical leap record, 48 inches. His guys had told me prior to that that he was going to do that, that he was going to break it, that he'd shatter the record. They knew what the record was at the combine and that he was prepped for that. Uh, in fact, they'd said something really interesting that a lot of it, they work on like technique for those things. Technique actually helped with an inch or two of getting his vertical up. That said, he smashed the old record, I think, by like two and a half inches. So even if you take that into account, um, he is just such a special athlete. Uh, but I would say for the both of them, incredibly impressive. Um, at first, with with Keon Johnson, his shot's much better than I think people anticipated. Um, he is uh, obviously a wonderful athlete, can really defend the fact that he's going to be able to shoot at the next level that I don't think people understand. Rick Barnes, a classic example of a guy that wasn't really shooting in that offense from, from three point line. He can do that. I think he'll do it at the next level. Um, and he's just an incredibly hard worker. I mean, the kid puts his head down and just grinds. Uh, and then, and then also same thing with, with Davion Mitchell, another guy who he's not saying he's saying exactly what he needs to. And, and Don again said to me of all the guys he's had, and, and you listed, I mean, Paul George, um, he's had D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker. He said he's the most professional ready guard that he's ever had in his workouts. He could not stop raving about the kid because Davion Mitchell, he's efficient with his game. He's a little bit short, as you know, measured at six foot at the combine, uh, but so strong. You can't move him. So defensively, he's going to be a monster. He hits open shots and he also understands that he doesn't really Someone in the gym said this to me. They said smaller players often realize they have less room for error because if they delay in a shot, it's getting blocked. If their handle is loose, it's getting stolen. Those kinds of things. They have just such limited opportunities. And Mitchell understands that. A lot of straight line drives. He's tough. And uh, they, both those guys just absolutely blew me away. They are, they are ready to be top 10 picks for sure. It's interesting with Mitchell. Uh, he starts the season – not even as a first round prospect, really. I mean, that that's that's just truthfully, I don't think I saw him anywhere. He certainly wasn't in the first round on our board. Then it's, oh, you know, he's having a really good season. Maybe he's going to be a late first round pick. Then he goes and has this incredible NCAA tournament. And all of a sudden he's a top 10 pick, which, you know, is a pretty, pretty huge rise uh, at right. that point. I, that doesn't happen very, I've been doing this a long time. It doesn't happen very often. And, you know, you started to see it, at least for me and talking to some of the NBA execs, you know, right before the tournament, everybody loved him. Everybody was like, oh, I, you know, I think he can get here. And the more teams I'm talking to, like, well, if everybody loves him, there's no, he, he's gonna, he's gonna keep going up. And then he has this huge, huge NCAA tournament. Now there's been a little bit like of a backlash. Like, yes. did, did he go too high? You know, his shooting was really good this year, but if you look sort of historically and you look at his, his free throw shooting, it wasn't as great. He's a little bit undersized. He's older. The history of older players getting drafted in the lottery, you know, typically don't play out so well. Mm -hmm. And and now there almost seems to be like this little bit of a pushback against Davian Mitchell right now. Like, where where do you stand in all of this at the end of the day? Uh, you think he, he should be a top 10 pick? Without question, I was blown away at, at his game. And again, the intensity, how hard this guy works, he he gets it. And I would also say, like, it's, it's he's in a weird position. He was a he didn't play a lot his freshman year. Then he transfers, comes to Baylor and has two outstanding years and they sort of let him loose. He's also playing with other guards where, you know, guys were sharing the ball. So even in, 
I think sometimes that that can work for you and sometimes against you in terms of you as a prospect. Obviously, it made Baylor better that they had all these other weapons, but having you know Jared Butler and Macy Teague, like all of a sudden now he's playing with other guys who are talented. They shared the ball, but yeah, I think if he was in a position where he was the primary ball handler, um, or even if he was playing off the ball, I think his offense would have been featured a lot more. He can really shoot it. Um, and again, there's something to be said for his toughness. I mean, he is going to lock guys down, even at his size. He knows how to guard uh, bigger players. And I know the Warriors love him. Absolutely love him. They they are enamored with this kid. And so that's that's huge, too. When that staff is is uh, intrigued by a guy, I always I always take note. But I do think he's a top 10 pick. I think he's worthy of it. He's another guy. If he was a couple inches taller, we'd be talking about potentially a top pick in the draft. Um, I love his demeanor. Yeah, I really love everything about his game. That being said, I mean, he's, it's not like he's got really long arms. He's short. He's older. So there are those knocks. But um, in terms of his ability to shoot it, defend, play multiple guard positions because he's going to guard multiple positions, I, I think he's a top prospect for sure. Yeah, and one of the comps he gets is is Donovan Mitchell. And, and there are <laughs> actually, beyond the last name and the number, there are some freaky similarities about how they move. Uh, on yes. the on the court and sort of their approach to the game, but I, I will say just to tamp down expectations. Donovan Mitchell was a more explosive athlete uh, than Davian Mitchell, and even though Donovan Mitchell was only one inch taller, uh, he had a six ten wingspan uh, yes. coming out of Louisville. Davian Mitchell a six four wingspan, and so that's a that's a significant difference at, yes. that probably needs to be taken into account. With that. With that said, I also think Davian Mitchell to me is a more natural point guard than Donovan Mitchell was. And I think like even right now, he's probably a better on the ball defender uh, than, than, than Donovan Mitchell is right now. And so there, there, are, some, there are some pluses there. And, and you're right about the Warriors. Like of all the way that the, the draft lottery fell out, assuming the Warriors keep the pick, which is a pretty big assumption because I, I think there's sure. lots of scenarios where they, they move this pick. There doesn't seem to be a prospect that makes more sense on after the James Wiseman experiment last year. If you're really going to get a guy who's going to come in and help you, Donovan Mitchell and probably, you know, Corey Kispert are probably the two guys in the draft that that are probably going to be able to come in and do their thing right away. But even that comes with a caveat. I mean, you know, one of the things that I always have to tamp down expectations about as well is rookies typically don't help teams win basketball games, even good ones. Uh, yes. You know, typically yes. don't don't do that, but it, there's a big learning curve there. Adam, anybody else that that either you kind of you know been looking at lately, or someone else that you want to kind of really advocate uh, advocate for? I mean, it's interesting. You picked one of the most experienced players in the draft, David Mitchell, and then Keon Johnson, who is like one of the <laughs> rawest players, like amazing athletic ability, but a lot of work's right. going to go into that offensive game to sort of get him there. Who else? Uh, who else are you are you like personally sort of high on right now? Well, I'll tell you who I, I know that a lot of other people fell off, and it goes back to our earlier discussion. But Zaire Williams from Stanford is a guy that is is really interesting because you look at his sort of lack of productivity at Stanford. Now, played well at times, played really well at times, had a triple double in one game, um, but his shooting numbers were not where they they anyone expected them to be. But that said, his form on his shot is terrific. And it's interesting because I've talked to analytics guys in the league who tell me like, you know, again, the casual fan will look and they'll see field goal percentage, three point field goal percentage, what have you. We're basing our metrics off of a whole bunch of different data sets that include 
you know, whether, whether you're catch and shoot off the dribble, um, you know, how, what the defense look like when you, what you're shooting against. So I think all those things factor in. And I think though, with, with Zaire Williams, like I, I love his length. Um, I love his side, I love size. I love his demeanor on the court. I think he was trying to fit in some at Stanford this year. And I just think that with his form on his shot, there are plays that he makes that are NBA plays that I think he could be a real steal in the draft. And he's one of those guys, again, that we saw what he could be when he's playing like in the EYBL circuit in high school and all that. You see what, what he could potentially be if he's the guy. And then he goes to Stanford and plays well. And if he wasn't thought of as this potential top five pick one and done guy, I think we would have evaluated his freshman season in a much different light. Of course, of course, but the expectations were so high. And I think people are kind of sleeping on Zaire Williams. And I think that he might be one of these guys, maybe not as a rookie, as you point out, but I think we look at two or three years down the road. He's a kind of guy that I think could really, um, could really impress. And then I think, um, the other one for me is uh, Joe Wieskamp, who I know you were raving about when he came out of the combine. It's funny because a lot of people are saying, wow, we love his length. We love his athletic ability. We love that he could score at all three levels. He's a really good shooter. And I was thinking to myself, well, he displayed all that and at the at the college game. So um, in the college game. So I think he's another one that to me really um, stands out. And I think it could be, you know, I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't go, I'm, I'm shocked that a, a team isn't going to take him in the first round because of what he brings to the table. Like to me, he seems to be a guy that, that screams like back end of the first round. And yet somehow I still get the feeling that he's going to end up going in the second. That may have changed based off of his combine performance where he tested as one of the you know four or five best athletes in the combine. Uh, had a huge 26 point game in that second game. And, and you know, clearly wings that have 6'11 length are good athletes and can shoot the basketball. That is the rage right now in the NBA, and and I'll, I want to come back to that in our last segment and sort of talk about you know how fickle the NBA is uh, and and what they sort of look for different eras, like totally different you know sorts of players right now, and and why I think Cade Cunningham is is the number one prospect because of it. Uh, but I, I think I, th- I think the, the Zaire one to me is is the single most fascinating. Um, guy in this draft because on on a talent base i see it it's all there that the production at stanford i mean you know i went through a lot of game film i'm not sure to say i'm not sure that i would say he had a great season at stanford i'm not Not great no no i agree with that not great for sure for sure uh it was inconsistent yeah and and you know his 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 uh you know, his, he's 188 pounds. That, that's a concern. I do like that he's 6'10 with a, you know, 6'11, seven foot wingspan. And he actually is a really good athlete. And if that shot's falling, you know, he is this sort of prototypical wing. We're going to get into this a little bit more. But, you know, this, mm-hmm. this wing that can defend multiple positions and can both handle the ball a little bit and score the basketball. I mean, this is what NBA teams are looking for. And so this is, this is maybe the best case that we have in the draft of, all the potentials there on paper. He showed it in high school. It didn't yes. really translate as a freshman at Stanford. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances. Stanford essentially was a road team all year. Yes, He's living all year. living out of a hotel. Uh, he had a death in the family um, that came as part of this process. He's a young person dealing with lots of sort of changes. And he's not on Kentucky where John Calipari is going to build an offense around him. I mean, he, yes. he has to fit into a veteran Stanford team 
that isn't just going to rely on him every night and, and give him sort of the flexibility to do whatever he wants. And so all of that actually has to be taken in, which means yes. that I'm not sure it's definitive either way. Like yes. if Zaire yeah. Williams ended up being one of the top six, seven prospects in this draft, I wouldn't be surprised. If he ended up being a bust in the draft, There, you, you would go back and look at things and say it was right there. It was right in front of your eyes. And yep. this is this is one of the challenges exactly. of doing the draft, right? It's exactly. it, it Not everybody is going to be clear-cut and made Cunningham. And let's actually, on that note, let's drop to uh, a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, who Adam thinks should be the number one pick in the draft and the NBA's obsession uh, with point forwards, wings, uh, whatever you want to call them right now. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor? When you talk to a Built Bar fan, I'm one of them, they're definitely passionate about their faves. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you're missing out. There's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. I'm a big coconut guy personally. I also like the salted caramel. Do you know what your favorite flavor is? If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mix box where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. And trust me, they are delicious. They taste more like a candy bar than a protein bar, but they are not only good tasting, they are healthy. They have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, only four grams of net carbs, Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. And I'm back with Adam Stanko, uh, VP of content at new 24-7. Uh, big, big new gig for him. Uh, he's going to be in the mix now with all the college basketball, uh, recruiting stuff, NBA draft stuff. So great to, great to see you taking over uh, that site, You know something that I, I think has been a valuable resource for many of us in the past. And uh, great to see you leading it. We've been talking NBA draft. We've been talking both sort of theory and then prospects uh, specifically. And... We talked a bit about what is the most coveted position right now in the NBA. And 15 years ago, it was center. If you could get a big guy, this is why Greg Oden was taking over Kevin Durant. Um, At times, there was a big push for point guards and having the lead point guard. When Steve Nash was winning MVPs, Mm -hmm. suddenly everybody Mm -hmm. wanted to go out and find the Steve Nash. And that was the guy that really rose. Now it's this versatile NBA wing uh, that can play multiple positions on offense and defense, can shoot the ball, can serve as a secondary ball handler, um, has you know the, the quickness to guard uh, on the perimeter, but can also guard bigger players. This is the unicorn right now in the NBA. This is, these are the guys that are all over the draft board rising right now. And it is part of the argument, not the only argument, but part of the argument why Cade Cunningham is the number one pick I'm in this draft is he fits that prototype um, really to a T. Other than that, he's not an elite athlete. He really checks off pretty much all the other sort of boxes that you look for um, in a in a three and D wing like this. And so, you know, my question to you at, at and you know, I know this can be a bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is he really the number one pick in the draft, or are we so obsessed right now with the positional fit and value? 
um, that he's eclipsing an Evan Mobley or a Jalen Green or, or a Jalen Suggs. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Is, is Cade Cunningham, should he be the number one pick without question in this draft? So it's, it's so interesting to bring all this up because I think, I absolutely do. Uh, I think the appreciation for Cade Cunningham comes the more that you watch him. That's how I feel about the kid. That doesn't mean, there's some kids that I feel like I like convince myself to get into. And I'm, I'm sure it's the same with you. you. You see a guy that everyone's talking about. You're like, I just don't see it yet. I don't see it. And then after a while, it's like, okay, I can convince myself he's a first rounder or what have you. Okay. I've seen some things now on tape that I maybe wasn't aware of or size wise or other uh, measurables. But I think the thing with Cade Cunningham is that he has the, I, it, to me, it boils down to one major point. He has this trait that I don't think that you can teach. And I think it's extremely rare. It's, it's the fact that he can slow a game down and have an entire game be played at his pace. And I just think that that is the most rare of qualities for NBA prospects. And so you talk about Luca having that, that rare ability. I think James Harden is, is that way. I think in some ways, I think, you know, Trey Young, Steph, like they have it too, but it's different when, when you're smaller. I think there's something to be said for players who can just completely slow the entire game down. And guess what? No matter what else, LeBron, of course, no matter what else is happening, we are going to play at the pace that I determined that we're going to play at. Chris Paul, I think, is a great example of that too. And so I think when then you start to combine his basketball IQ, um, his size, I think he is going to be able to shoot the ball really well. He's got tremendous vision. I think he's going to be a really good defender at the next level. I think you start to factor all those things in and you say, yes, that fits the prototype right now that everyone's looking at. But I think it's that it's that first trait to me that stands out because I'm always looking, what is it that's extra special about this guy that puts him in that class of being the number one pick? Because if you don't feel, and, and as you and I have talked about in the past, I've always looked at things differently ever since you, you sort of introduced the world to the tier system of tier one prospects, tier two, and what have you. And I think when you evaluate prospects and say, for a guy to be a tier one, like some drafts, you have to just accept the fact that they're not and that there aren't any tier one prospects, or maybe there aren't being valued as a tier one prospect, even if you as a certain team or individual feel like they should be. And so you have to play things differently. And I think in this case, you look, and I think there are a few tier one prospects, but if you're going to be in that class of multiple time, all-star franchise changing guy, like uh, what is it that makes you just just unique. And I think that with that, for me, it's Cade Cunningham. It's, it comes down to his poise and this ability to just slow the game down and play at his pace. And I think everything, everything, when you watch through that prism, when you watch him, everything then makes sense. Like his ability to get shots off. He can score at all three levels. Of course, I think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for, but all those things come together because his, he just has this feel for the game that I just don't think that you can teach. And that He'll be the exact same way at the NBA as he was at Oklahoma State, and he's going to play with a lot better players. So if you're the Detroit Pistons, you're on the clock with the number one pick in the draft. No question for you, Cade Cunningham's the number one guy. No question. No question. Now, that being said, I will also say I love the other, I love the other two college prospects that are put in the same category. I love Jalen Suggs. Um, and people talk about, look, great athlete, better size than I think people realize at, you know, 6'4". Um, he defends really well. Great team guy. It was awesome in the clutch this year. Uh, I thought his productivity was wonderful at Gonzaga. 
And he even has that that ability where when he gets the ball, he doesn't look at his primary defender. He's a next level scorer that looks where's the help coming from, because that's the only guy I have to worry about. But the biggest thing for me, uh, for Jalen Suggs, is his passing ability. And we saw everyone saw it. It was on full display uh, in the final four when he made that three quarters court one hand bounce pass with less than two minutes to play. I mean, who else makes that? But he's a quarterback, so he values turnovers. As a quarterback, you turn the ball over twice in a game, you're you're crushed. As a point guard, you do that, you're praised. And I think he has such a great feel and great vision that I really love him. And I think Evan Mobley is going to be a game-changing defensive player from, from day one. And I think his touch is special, too, for a guy his size and length. And I still think he's, he's going to put on so much bulk that I think those guys are tremendous prospects. And Jalen Green, I, I think, is going to be very good, but I don't even put Jalen Green in that class. And I, it's not because he was with the Ignite. I just don't value Jalen Green the same way. Um, I don't think he is a special player, whereas I think the other three guys are, are special. All right, interesting. Let's, let's talk about one guy uh, that seems to be moving into this conversation um, right now with these other guys, which is Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. And again, you know, he, he's, he's freaky because you could say he's one of these point wings. You could also say that he's more of a Draymond Green big. You could say, as some scouts have said, no, he's a, just a pure point guard. You literally just play him at the point. Uh, you know, uh, maybe like, you know, Ben Simmons. Um, he didn't, didn't shoot the ball well at Florida State, uh, but he's got great size, great length, um, excellent athlete. Uh, really actually, you know, did one thing better than Cade, I think, and that, that he really protected the ball more. I, I, you know, Cade, Cade's turnover rate, his actually assisted turnover ratio was underwater at, at Oklahoma State uh, and very different for Scotty Barnes in that um, he seemed to make better reads than, than Cade did. I actually think he sees the floor even better than Cade. Um, but, you know, Cade's ability to shoot the basketball um, is is a big di- difference here. Where do you, where do you think Scotty Barnes should be in this draft? To me, he's a top five pick. I mean, his versatility you mentioned it is is awesome. It's weird because I almost feel like kids that play at Florida State, you have to throw their productivity out 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 the window. I mean, it's it's unreal. I mean, he's a guy who didn't shoot. It's it's weird that we're talking about him like this because he didn't score in bunches, didn't shoot the three well. And again, the last point that you always bring up that that's right pro scouts looking at what did he shoot from the free throw line? Because then we can project out just what kind of shooter he is, what kind of touch he has. He didn't shoot it well from the line either, but I think, I think in spite of that, he's one of those guys that just jumps out at you when you, when you look at the tape, I mean, his ability to explode to the rim, uh, his handle, uh, and, and then defensively the Florida state kids all can guard. So right away, you know, you're getting a guy day one that walks in and is going to be able to defend multiple positions for you. So I love all that. And I agree. I think in some ways that he he probably didn't even get a chance to showcase all that he can do as a, as a point guard itself. So I think he's got to be a guy that's got to be considered in the mix as a top five pick as well. And and the length and all is legit. The athletic ability, the explosiveness, it's all there. So I'm very high right now on, on Scotty Barnes as well. You know, it's interesting because it's, uh, you know, I'll say this a lot. You know, fit really matters in the NBA, unless you're LeBron James or Anthony Davis or, you know, Kevin Durant or someone like that. How a team uses you, uh, what team you're on is, is going to make a big difference in your career. And, and 
And you know, I've been, I've caught myself saying that a number of times with Scotty Barnes, like it's going to take a coach that really buys into what he does and special. But I'm not even sure about that anymore. Like <laughs> he is maybe one of the freakiest players that I've ever scouted. In that, I could make an argument for him as a point guard. I could make an argument for him as a three. I could make an argument for him as a four. I could make an argument for him as a five in the modern day uh, NBA, and that gives a team a lot of flexibility. Uh, to 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 mold Draymond Green or to, to mold uh, there I I said it you know one of his cops yeah, yeah, yeah. you know uh, mold Scotty Barnes you know into what what you want him to be and there's very few players that I think you could take and make at this point four arguments about what position he ultimately is in the NBA and why he could thrive at you know at that position and so I, I think that's a really he's a really interesting prospect from that that standpoint. I mean, people can look at Florida State and say, well, he didn't rebound or block shots, but he was playing point guard. They had the tall, they had the tallest team in college basketball. Like they weren't asking him to do any of that. So what what we know about Scotty Barnes and his ability to do that, I I question. I think he could be a great rebounder. I think he could be a great shot blocker with his length and his athleticism and uh, the explosiveness of some of it. I, I think he could be. Uh, what he was Absolutely. doing was playing up front and ra- racking up a bunch of steals uh, and handling the ball. That's what Florida State asked him to do. And it'll be really interesting to see where his career evolves and but i'm i'm becoming more and more confident that regardless of the coach and how the coach sees him he probably could fit that role and do it well it's it's so funny you bring up all that stuff i mean i i'm i'm with you it's funny because rebound rate of course is something that that gets looked at as a transferable skill and then maybe you can evaluate based upon rebound rate but then you see a guy even like steph curry is an example who rebounds much better in the NBA game, he's 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 rebounded at a better rate in the NBA game than he did at Davidson. And you're like, that makes no sense considering, you know, the athletes he was going up against in his conference and all. But I but a lot of it's your position and, and where you're shooting from and wh- where your teammates are shooting from, where you are on the floor. So as you point out, all that stuff is, is significant. And, you know, it's it's so wild that you talk about that. And I think another thing that is often missed when evaluating the draft is that people say they they don't understand that top tier guys on an NBA team are allowed to do whatever they want. But if you are not the one or two best players on your team, if you're not a star, then you have to find a role. And the NBA was so obsessed with specialists. It felt like you talk about trends in the draft. So we're going to go get a guy that's a shooter. We're going to get a guy that is our second team lead guard that can run an offense. We're going to get a guy that's going to block shots and rim run or what have you. And that's still true. They love the specialists, but it, but to your point, they start to now even look what multiple things can you do? That's what I'm starting to find. And you look at a Mikhail Bridges and when he was coming up, everyone said, wow, I love this kid as a prospect because we think he'll be able to shoot it. He plays well within Villanova's offense. He moves the basketball and defensively. I mean, just think about all the different things he can do on, you know, on the weak side, or even if he's guarding the ball and you look at how far he's come. And I just think a team loves, you look at the Suns, and they're the perfect example. You've got your star, in Devin Booker and Chris Paul, but then they try to find other guys that are so valuable in Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges. And I look at that as an example for what other teams now want to do. And you look at a Scotty Barnes and you're right. I'm almost caught between which one is he going to be? Is he the star of the team that gets to do whatever he wants and, and be the primary ball handler? Or even if he's not, he's going to be extremely valuable to you because you can put him in any situation. He can bring the ball up if you need him to, he can guard multiple positions if you need him to. So yeah, I'm in love with him as a prospect as well right now. I'm very high on Scotty Barnes. 
He's Adam Stanko. Really appreciate this uh, this this uh, podcast and able to talk at a high level about the, about these guys. And really looking forward to watching your career blow up at twenty four seven. You'll be able to check out uh, Adam over there. Uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. I just want to say, Chad, before I jump, that this is a huge thrill for me because I've always been a big big fan of your work. So everyone knows this was a big deal when you asked me to come on. That's that's a big deal to jump on Chad Ford's podcast. Well, love having you on, and, and I'm sure we'll be having lots of conversations now in your new gig as well. So you've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.